0: Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Check, check. Okay, I think it's on. Um, This is episode 19 of the Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. The last episode was almost a year ago in uh, April of 2020 with Stevie Polito. And, yeah, I kind of just stopped doing it. Took a little uh, break, and, um, but wanted to get back to it eventually, so that's what I'm doing right now, Um, and so much stuff has happened since then, Um, where do I start? Yes, well, um, after that last podcast, um, you know, there were no shows happening, Uh, COVID was still pretty new, and we didn't have any shows, but we did have two video filmings. Uh, One of them we produced independently. Uh, That was the first one. It was for a virtual music festival called Home Fest. And what that was was a, um, it was kind of like a replacement because we were booked to play at a festival called Dome Fest in Pennsylvania. Which is organized and curated by a band called Pigeons Playing Ping Pong, and we were set to play that in May, and that got canceled, and uh, they did this virtual event um, in its place. And what it was was just you know video performances from you know the bands that were going to play at the festival. Um, which was cool, but also, you know, we were a little bummed cause Dome Fest was really awesome last year and that was the first time and we were super pumped to be able to, to play it again this year. And, um, but yeah, we have a, uh, or we had a practice space, a, re- a rehearsal room in uh, the South Side in the Store Express storage unit building. Uh, the whole seventh floor is all music rehearsal rooms, which is great because you can be as loud as you want any time a day or night, 24 hours a day, and you're not pissing off, uh, you know, the neighbors that you live around. So that was great, and we had, like, that space to... um record the video. So for HomeFest, they said, you know, send us a video and we'll, we'll air it. So we needed to make a video. So we got a set together. Uh, I think it was like 50 minutes or something, um, which was the requested time. And I have two GoPros. I don't know if I ended up even using them, though. I think we filmed it all on our iPhones because... Those cameras are very good. And we all have them, so we could all have cameras on us. And then I think I I think I had the GoPro set up as like a wide shot to ca- capture all of us in the room. And then I kind of just cut between each of our individual cameras. So we we filmed it with our iPhones, one on each of us. And then I brought a little recording interface and my computer and you know all my mics and stuff and mic'd everything up and had just barely enough channels to you know capture everything that we needed to capture and I think it sounded it, it turned out sounding good I, I really liked it and I think we played well I feel like that show was the best ski ever which ski Pon is a it's a song off of our album sprout ski pond. It's a reference to Age of Mythology, uh computer game that um, me and Nick and Andrew were very uh, into back in the day. And so we we made the video, or we, we recorded the set. Um, I put the video together, and I sent it to them, and they... They aired it, and then they kind of, like, were hosting in between and kind of introduced each of the, the bands that were going to be playing on the video. So that that was cool. It was good to just to, like, capture a video of us playing at that point because I, f- I feel like we were getting to a very, you know, a pretty good point with our set. It, it was, we were just getting it more and more uh, dialed in, as they say. And I feel like even more so in the next video that we made, which was a video series that the Rex Theater and WYEP put together called The Time Out Chair. And it, it was performances at the Rex Theater with no crowd. Um, and, but, you know, like with full lights and sound and like, uh, you know, multi-camera uh, video and uh, Ben asked if if we would want to do that, and we did, and it was awesome. And it was really fun to play on that stage again and get to play one more time at the Rex Theater, which, uh, as you may know, is closed, which was very um, unfortunate and sad. But as a parting gift, they they brought us in and recorded a, a set with you know we got high quality multi track audio and video and that that was just like it's just an amazing video to have and i'm so happy that we that we got to do that and that we have that video and kind of captured that snapshot of our band you know kind of at its peak um in that state because um Chalk Dinosaur moving forward is going to be different. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like right now, but, um, it's definitely going to be different when it comes back. At least, uh, we'll have a different bass player because Andrew, uh, is pursuing his dream of living in the mountains and he moved to Utah, um, and also to be closer to his brother. Um, so I'm I'm excited for him out there, and also excited that he's doing it, because he, I feel like for a lot, a long time, he's been, you know, dreaming about that, Um, and it was a good time, you know, we didn't have any shows, nothing in our live music world was really happening, and so it was a good time, and, you know, I also took some time during this kind of extended pause to do some different things as well, including living in California for about two or three months. Three months, but I was on the road for for some of it, for a good portion of it. Um, and that was with my girlfriend, who is a nurse, and she took a travel nursing job in California. Um, three months, and... And um we were living in like a f- furnished apartment so it was just a it was like really great opportunity to see what it was like living in another place uh, while still having it be you know temporary um without having to move a bunch of stuff and like it, it was it was great it was I enjoyed being out there very much obviously it is a lot different because you know there's no live music events there's um a lot less things to do in a normal sense but out there we were two blocks from the ocean and so i went there a lot there was like a a path kind of similar to the pittsburgh river trail but it goes down the beach it's just like a paved Path, and I don't know how long it goes because I, I never, you know, the longest I ever went down it was probably like three miles because I, I wasn't biking, I was just on foot. And um. they had these like calisthenic stations all along the, you know, every like half mile on the trail, which was sweet because I've always wanted access to those. And um, yeah, it was just always sunny. There was I think there was two days during the whole stay that where it rained and maybe under five days where it was like not just perfect sun it did get a little chilly when the sun would go down it it definitely the air is just colder and the sun kind of all the heat is coming from the sun and not really the air Um, so it did get chilly but it was it was just great to have. Anytime you want to go outside, basically it's sunny, and like, 60 to 70 degrees. That was pretty amazing. San Diego. We we both had cousins that lived in San Diego, or my cousin lived in Encinitas, which is just north of San Diego. That place is really amazing too. I that is very very nice um i don't know what else what else Uh, i mean we stopped a bunch of places on the way out there and indiana denver moab forget oh uh, a couple places in colorado and a couple places in utah i think las vegas lake mead it was great i'll tell you what i was really impressed with the uh, San Diego KOA which is a camping resort Uh, on our drive out there we did mostly camping because it was it was nice out still and um, yeah we mostly camped and we stayed at a couple hotels but um, the last place we camped was in San Diego at the KOA I don't know what that stands for, but um, it was a campground that was like, it it was a campground resort. So it was like mostly RVs, but like there was a big pool and like showers and laundry and like a grocery convenience store and like beer (laughs) and delivery wood. And just like the infrastructure in that place with all the paths and like lighting and all their like structures that they rent like you can rent these little cabin yurt type of things they have all different kinds it was I was like (laughs) I'd never been to one of those and that that one was awesome it was exactly what I wanted at the end of I mean we were on we we were probably on the road for like at least a week probably like eight days or something getting out there so I was pretty pretty worn out um and that campground was just like the ultimate convenient camping uh we were we were like five minutes away from a shopping plaza (laughs) so not not necessarily the kind of camping that um i usually do but it was perfect for the end of a long drive long trip because everything was just so easy there Anyway, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So Chalk Dinosaur is is going to change in some regard. And we're either going to have a new bass player and continue. Or I'm going to mostly do solo shows. Um, and and do full band shows on, you know, special. In, in the right scenarios. I'm not exactly sure yet. I, I'm still kind of thinking it over, but right now I'm kind of leaning towards moving forward presenting Chalk Dinosaur mainly as a solo uh, performance. And then if there's certain events like Farm Jamalama or Dome Fest where... Uh, it's kind of more of a jam band uh, atmosphere. Or if there was a situation where I got to play two sets, then um, I would do one solo one with the band or something like that. I'm still not sure yet. But um, So I'm not exactly sure what is going to happen in the future. But what I know for sure is that I will be continuing to record and release music and I'm sure I don't know I've got a couple things going on right now with the different kinds of music I'm working on um working on like a funk album and then I'm working on I've got some kind of uh more electronic ideas going, like things that I would play in a solo show. And then I've got, I've got like a house, like techno batch of music that, um, you know, a couple more good ideas in there and I'll be ready to just uh, release those probably. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, the show at the Rex, uh, it's on YouTube I believe it was the last show at the Rex Theater ever, which is crazy. I really hope that they, those people have involvement in the music scene when things return and and people can open up at full capacity because they're, the community that they cultivated and grew was, was very special. And even though the Rex isn't, around anymore. You know, that community still is. And, you know, I'm not sure how that'll manifest physically in the future, but I'm sure it will. Um, still got the Thunderbird. I don't know about Mr. Smalls. Uh, somebody said they heard it was close, but I don't, I have not checked that. I feel like I would have heard about that from one of my, one of my bandmates. Let's see. Mr. Smalls. I think the, um, the Roxian still, still around, which is good. Very good. Okay. I think Mr. Smalls is still open. Anyway. Yeah, so we recorded those two videos. It was good to get some, some playing and some practice and, and just to capture where the band was because that would be the last time that the band would be in that arrangement with me, Nick, Andrew, and John. Um, So I'm very happy that we captured where we were at, you know, when that ended. And a lot of the songs that we were working on um, live and for some of the shows and videos, we had enough for an album. So we in August um, recorded that and we released it in December. Uh, It's the album called Spectrum. And this album, well, first of all, before we went in to record Spectrum, I released an album called Word of the Soul on August 1st. And that was three songs, just a short EP. Um, but I'm very proud proud of the, that work because I feel like those songs um, were just very concise and I really feel strongly about you know the production being some of some of my best pr- production and I feel like the lyrical content was I, I was very Happy with the, you know, emotions and ideas and how they were articulated. I'm just like very, very pleased that that album came together the way it did. So if you haven't checked out that EP, it's on Spotify. It's the one with the album covers, the dog head. Word of the Soul, it'll show up under the singles category in my... Discography on Spotify. That really annoys me that I can't place that with the other albums because it's not a single. It's, uh, it's an EP, but whatever. Okay, so I released that on August 1st. Then we got together on August 22nd to record Spectrum. And we did it in a different way than we normally do. Or than I've ever done for any of my solo albums, and that was we went to a studio. This was the first release, uh, artist release that a Chalk Dinosaur has that was recorded not at home. Um, so we went to Plus Minus Recording in Southside. It was super close to where we were living at the time because uh, we lived. We lived right by Double Wide on 24th Street, in, uh, right by Carson Street in uh, Southside. So I've done a couple things at that studio before. Um, the things that I've done at the studio before were some of the albums I've made. I wanted to see what it would sound like if I recorded my mixes onto a reel-to-reel tape machine just to see if it might give it the last little bit of uh, mojo to kind of just make it a more of a distinct body of work and kind of just little final layer of glue. So I did that with Crystal Coast and then Sprout. Both of those were recorded to half inch tape or quarter inch. Uh, I can't remember if it was half inch or quarter inch, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um and it, it really did provide some some gluing action, kind of compressed the mix a little more, kind of smoothed out any harsh digital like spikes, like um transients, and kind of made the top end smoother. And and just um it's one of those things that like the general listener is not going to notice that, but it's one of those things where it, it makes it just a little bit better or like it makes it just a little bit different or something. And the effect of that in combination with every other decision that's been made throughout the whole process, um, every other little increment of improvement, adds up to you know something that the listener can really you know that does make a difference whereas you know one microphone selection or like microphone preamp selection or one one decision by itself is going to be not really noticeable to to the casual listener but you know all of those decisions and tactics combined make uh, a definite difference Anyway, so the, the, I knew Sean, who runs the studio from doing those projects, and I like working with him, and he was I, I've, I had seen his recording space before, and um, I, I contacted him to get his rate for what it would cost, and it was very, very doable. And so we rented it for a day, and we recorded the album in in that one day. And so what we, it it was just so much different, this recording process for Spectrum, because I feel like most of the time, pretty much all of the time when I record an album or even when we were recording our, some of our other full band stuff, we're almost writing it as we're recording it. Not, not as much with the full band stuff, but like, we're kind of layering it individually. You know, we'll put the drums down, and then we'll put the bass down, and, you know, we'll do it all layer by layer. It's never all of us together just playing through the song. And that's what we did with Spectrum. We practiced a bunch before our session, just as we... We kind of treated it like it was a show. So we just practiced it a bunch, and the the goal wasn't to get a completely finished product that day but it was to get the drums bass rhythm guitar like just to get the the main meat of each song and then we intended to you know add some extra stuff and like redo some solos or like you know overdub some solos where Um, but just to get the, the rhythm section down and really capture the energy of all of us playing together, which is very, very difficult to replicate if you do it piece by piece. So yeah, we practiced like a show and we, we went in and recorded, did two or three takes of each song. And, um. We ended up doing the solos in the recording session and then, you know, there was enough isolations that, enough sound isolation that, you know, if the solo, if we wanted to redo the solo, we could redo it. But if there was, you know, a really good solo that was, you know, um, brought out by our playing together, then we'd have it. Which, that, that happens, I feel like that happens a lot with John Henderson, where when we play together in a full band setting and we're all in the room playing a song, like his solos in those scenarios or like at shows are really great. And um, like I feel like his live solos are like that's where his best solos come out, Uh, like in the moment of performing together. So I definitely wanted to try and capture that and just the, the energy is all different whenever you play together um, in a room. I don't know. I really wanted to try and capture that since these were all songs that we were playing live and kind of that's how they were developed and I feel like it just would have made it all sound different and not representative of, of what they really were if we did it piece by piece and uh, it worked out really well. We, yeah, the session was pretty quick. It was a lot easier to go through and kind of get the, find the right takes of stuff because there's only like three takes at the most of each song. Whereas when I record layer by layer, if I'm recording a drum part, it might be like, 25 takes of the verse, and then like 25 takes of like the chorus, and you know, five takes of the song all the way through. And it, like, there are just so many takes to sort through. But with this one, it's only you know, three full takes of a song, which is very nice. And there was isolation, all the drums were isolated. It, the room was much better than any room that I had available to me, so the drums sounded a lot better. He had a better microphones, more microphones, like the ability to record more channels at once. It was definitely, a. I think it was really, I think we did the right thing by going to a studio to record that since we wanted to do it live together. And um, yeah, so we we loaded in our gear the night before, Friday. On Friday, August 21st. And then... On the 22nd we got there in the morning and then we just a lot of the day was sound checking getting the levels of the drums and like getting all the setup um so we'd play a little bit and then sean would you know adjust the microphone placements adjust our monitor mixes like our headphone mix that was the that was the hardest part I feel like was getting the headphone mix correct or or to a place where it felt right. It was um it was a little weird. I don't think the drums were coming through our headphones, only our instruments. So we could hear Nick's drums cuz we were in the room with him, but the headphones were only had our instruments or something like that. So it was a little odd, but we, it, it wasn't, it didn't end up being um, a problem. We got used to it. And um, after we finished recording that, which was very fun and successful, um, Sean, you know, gave me all of the files, all of the audio files from the session and I started working on them at home to mix them and edit them and just, like, start, I guess, what you would call producing the album. I don't really know what that word means. I feel like it can mean a lot of different things. But just, like, mixing and editing and, and just, like, uh, shaping the sound and also working on overdubs, like, extra layers. Um And working on guitar solos that I wanted to redo. We ended up using a lot of the ones that John did in the studio. And because they were just, he just nailed them. And I think I only ended up using one of mine that I did in the studio, I think on Fire Alarm. And I feel like if I would have tried to redo that, I could have done a much better solo. But I kind of just liked it just to be the way that it was when we played it. Like, I'm fine with it. But unlike John, I feel like I'm someone who I get my best uh, solos out when I have a lot of time to um, repeatedly just go through and really like compose the solo, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I don't typically have my best sp- in the spur of the moment. Sometimes, but it's, it's much more rare and much more common for me to just like hit a wrong note or something, um, or, or have, you know, a really sweet one little part of the solo, but the whole thing is not, you know, there's other parts where I kind of mess up. So, um, yeah, I was really racing to get the album as far as possible before I moved to California in September. That was at the end of September. So I had about one month to get as far as I could. I was going to try to finish the album if I could, since it was already recorded. We just had to overdub, you know, keyboards and some guitar solos. And one of the songs, Optical Company, that song wasn't completely composed when we recorded it. We kind of just tried to get The basis of what we would need to create something around kind of just a general structure and then we would fill it out later and I think that that was the last song that that I was able to finish or that yeah I was avoiding that one because it I knew it was a little bit more raw um less less refined of an idea but um I was not able to finish the album before I moved I, I don't remember how far I got. I think I, some of the songs were done and I think, you know, Optical Company and and I added some new songs while I was in California. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, but yeah. So my plan was when I drove to California, I brought my laptop, brought my, my two studio monitors like my speakers i brought a little midi keyboard an arturia keystep and a two-channel interface and a microphone oh yeah and my guitar so i brought like a a bin of recording stuff and then my guitar and that was oh and headphones i had to rely on headphones a lot because I wasn't sure what kind of room I would be um, mixing in. So I took this minimal music setup to California when we moved there at the end of September. And it was enough for me to continue doing the work that I do to make a living, which is making underscore music for reality TV shows. And I I was also doing... um, more stuff for Starcade Arcade, the game company. And so I was still able to do all of that work. And I was going to try to mix the album. I wasn't sure what the room would be like, um, but I I knew I had my headphones and I could more or less, I, I I felt like I could get it there, um, on headphones and the speakers. So the room was, uh, it was like a a living room slash dining room, like just a big, long rectangle. Um, You know, obviously not treated, hard floor. So it was a little bit reverberant in there. And I knew I wouldn't be able to fully trust what I was hearing out of the speakers. I, I just kind of like listening to music on speakers more. Uh, it's more comfortable and it's just, I, I like the way it sounds better, but I knew I was going to have to do a lot on headphones, um, because there's no room to contend with on the headphones and it it worked out. It worked out. It was like, I ended up driving myself a little bit nuts working on this album. Just, I spent so much time listening to it and like working on it that I started to become like, kind of just, what is the word? I don't know, kind of like, what is the word? Um, Where you work on something or you look at a problem or something for so long that you kind of stop seeing it the way you'd normally would, like you start to lose. I started to lose my perspective And I knew that and I know that that's not a good place to be where you're unsure of like if what you're doing is actually making it better or worse or just different and it becomes very hard to make decisions and then you start second guessing your decisions. So I was really trying to just like finish this quickly before I got completely to the point of being unable to to work on it and like make good decisions. So that's, that's part of the reason I was trying to do it so fast and maybe, yeah, it was just getting to a point where I, I felt like, uh, I needed to be done with it. And so I got to, and, and I did get it to that point. And yeah, once I get deep into an album and it's like getting near the end, I start to get, I start to feel a weight of like the projects start to get so complex and so many tracks and so many like plugins. I start to get paranoid that, you know, the project's like not going to open or I'm not going to be able to work on it or like, I'm just going to lose control of the project completely so i was i was feeling that way i'm like i need to put a pin in this before it explodes my computer and um so eventually yeah i got the mixes and we ended up with i think two more songs than we recorded in the studio there were two songs that were we didn't record in the studio one of them agua de vida that one was we made later in the kind of layer by layer fashion that I described earlier because I was in California and John was in Pittsburgh and he sent me he sent me an acoustic guitar loop and he was like this this could be a good um, intro to agua de papa which is uh, one of the songs we recorded in the studio he's like this could make a cool intro so and i liked that idea and it sounded really nice and so i started um layering on top of the acoustic guitar loop he sent and and then i experimented with i i pulled some drums from Agua de Papa because it was, um, I think it might've been the same tempo. Anyway, I pulled some drums in from another song and then I sliced them, like chopped up the beat and rearranged it to make and kind of process it differently. And yes, it turned into Agua de Vida. Uh, and it's interesting that um i'm just looking at this right now is that a q what the heck it's supposed to be it's supposed to be agua not aqua did i do that oh geez hopefully that's a g and i didn't make it aqua de papa because it's supposed to be agua anyway i'm just noticing that now what the heck um Where was I? Yeah. So that song was made as a, like a transition intro type of song for Agua de Papa. And I was making a lot of orchestral stuff for my TV composing work. And I had got some new tools, like some new software string libraries and, um, I feel like that had something to do with that because "Algo de Vida has a lot of, uh, kind of has like a string arrangement kind of thing in it, like an orchestral element. And um, also, when I was in uh, California, I didn't have my, you know, my workhorse tools, which are the, the Prophet synthesizer and the Moog Synthesizer the two keyboards that I play live that that's how I generate a lot of my sounds and I I didn't have those and But I thought you know, this will be a good opportunity to get more comfortable and more proficient with software synthesizers because I I purchased serum which is kind of the leading software synthesizer and it seems like, you know, if you understand how to use that piece of software and that virtual instrument, if you understand how to really use it, that you could make, you know, any sound you want. So I thought it was a good idea. Um, I kind of used these analog synthesizers as a, a crutch. Um, so, you know, I, I had to lean on the software synthesizers. And I also found a free one that was great. And I used it a, a bunch in Spectrum and in other stuff. Um, it's called Tyrell by that company U-HE, Tyrell. Yeah, it's it's like a vintage synth emulator. It kind of, it reminded me a lot of, I think it was laid out just like the Juno, like my, I sold it, um, but it was like, you know, my first vintage synthesizer and I it was so awesome. Loved it, but I could get—I I really knew how to work that synthesizer. So with Tyrell, uh, it was like I just knew how to use it, um, or knew how to get the kind of sounds I wanted to get. There's still some parts of it I don't understand, like the mod matrix. I, I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how to just get a simple like f- pitch modulation on that, but. Anyway, that's aside from the point. The point was, I really liked the sound of it and ended up finding this free tool that I wouldn't have found, you know, otherwise. And, um, yeah. Winds of Change, it's the second song on the album. That's That's another one that we didn't record at the studio. It's kind of just an interlude that leads into... It, it it was supposed to be an interlude that connects the first song fire alarm to the third song, which is Agua De Vida is created as a connective tissue. And that's also something different about this album. Um, our last album sprout was, you know, every song was very independent. Um, and in spectrum, it's almost laid out more like a show would be like, um, the songs lead into each other and connect, uh, and I think there's only there's like a there's like two songs that you know actually end in silence, but for the rest of it, it's all like a continuously playing piece of music, which was cool because I haven't really experimented much with that. I I started to. I did a couple that flowed into each other in the album Sunset. But this one was the first, like, gapless album that I tried to, uh, do. And I think, you know, this was the idea of John, I feel like, mostly. Um, kind of suggesting that maybe we try to make it, uh, gapless. And it was, I feel like playing shows really helped a lot with stringing songs together, um, just since it really kind of felt like laying out a set, which was cool. Um, And I kind of look forward to doing that more in the future. It was kind of a pain in the butt to have like a gapless playback where the songs are, where it's like not, um, I guess just with like the leveling and the mastering is like a little different because you have to make sure that There's no, like, click or pop whenever the song changes. I don't know. It was a learning experience, but... It was, um... I'm, I'm very pleased with Spectrum. And the album cover, that is a drawing that my brother Nick made, the drummer. He had made this drawing years ago. A couple years ago, at least. And it was it was framed and hanging in our living room above our couch, uh, along with two chalk dinosaur album covers that my brother Mike made. And we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the cover for this. Um, and I had some designs like minimal text designs where it was just like, just said spectrum and like, had like a just like a minimal color bar, in, like it was just a was going for like a very minimal um, design and yeah we, we couldn't we just couldn't find we couldn't all kind of agree on which one um, we liked in terms of like the font choice like the typography is the just so hard to get right and to make it look like not a sixth grade Microsoft Word project. And I, you know, I was getting there. I was, I was trying to learn, um, how to, you know, make it not suck. And, you know, I, I, I got somewhere that I liked, but, you know, we all couldn't, um, agree on, on anything. So that wasn't going to work. But while we were trying to figure out, you know, font, like the typography stuff, just like what we're going to do, Nick, Reminded me that he had this drawing that we wanted, you know, we had talked about for years. I think literally for years, we've been like, oh, that would make a good album cover. And it just happened to have like a color spectrum on it going around it. It's like a, it's like a cyborg head shooting a color rainbow out of his eyes. um, That's connecting into the back of his head again. (laughs) It's cool. And, uh. He's like, I have this drawing, we should use this. And I was like, ah, yes, that just makes this so much easier. That is perfect. (laughs) So I still had to do some, I I did some like digital coloring, I guess, and like sharpening. So mostly they're just like tracing, coloring, trying to like smoothing, that kind of stuff. I I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to look sterile, but I also wanted it to be like defined. So that was an interesting project trying to find the balance of polish and rawness it was a very tedious job but it was good to learn graphic design is one of those things that I would love to just be better at and know how to do more because I need it so much and you know it's also an expensive service and if I could do it in a way that if I was just proficient at that it would be awesome. But, you know, there's something to be said for just hiring somebody who that is their focus and their strength to, to do something. Um, I just, uh, I like to try to learn new things. So, um, oh yeah, look at that. The font on Spectrum. Orbitron brought to my attention from john henderson the guitar player we were all like looking at fonts and we were like trying to find the right fonts <laughs> find the right font to use we we're just sending so many fonts back and forth like what do you think of this one but the thing is like it really depends on the context too because we liked uh me and nick we liked orbitron in this design with the current design like with the head with the eye, color shooting out of his eyes like we like the way the font looks with that picture, but in my pre, like in my design that I was making where it was just text and like a color bar, um, we did not like Spectrum or we did not like Orbitron as much. Um, but the context made it look perfect for, or I mean, in our opinion, you know, it fit with the image of the head that nick drew but it it didn't work as just text alone anyway could go on and on about that you might hear a furnace noise that is because i'm in a basement and there is a furnace down here and it's kind of cold outside so got that furnace going it's not in a separate room or anything ah it is turned off good. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I live in a house now with my girlfriend, Alyssa, and there was, we picked this house for the space. There's a basement. Um, that's where I am right now. And I was excited to be able to have all of my music stuff in one place. Um, Cause in Southside I had my recording kind of like my music production set up at, at our house in my bedroom. And then we had our live music set up in store express, you know, separate building with, with the drums and, you know, the amps. And, uh, so I would often have to, you know, take my keyboards and my guitar amp, like back and forth. And, um, It was a little bit disconnected feeling and, you know, looking for a place to live after our lease was up in, our Southside lease was up in January. So needed to find a new place. Really liked living in Southside. That was, that was an awesome place to live, especially like that specific location on the corner of East Carson and, um, 24th street. It was just like, so close to everything, but also quiet in terms of you know pedestrians and just drunk people and stuff. Like it was very quiet. Um, I mean, there was some loud machinery because <laughs> we were by an oxygen plant, and like their trucks were loud when they would drive by. And like there were a couple dumpsters around us. Like we we're right, we were right across the street from a Seven Eleven, and right next to a uh the double wide. So it was like it was awesome. And we were so close to Ascend and so close to our practice space. It was it was really great. But um when I was looking for another place, uh I just couldn't find anything with the right, you know, arrangement in Southside. Um, kinda got tired of looking Saw a house in Wexford, which is a suburb about 20 minutes north of Pittsburgh, 15, 20 minutes. And um, I saw the picture of the basement, and it. I was excited. I was, like, I was thinking, like, oh, I could have my recording set up and my live, you know, the ability to practice and, like, do that stuff all in one place, which I haven't had since like 2014. So pretty, pretty excited about that. And um, finally getting back into a a work groove because for a while, I don't know, I've just been all over the place. Um, you know, with the, the West Coast trip, working in kind of a modified work setup, and then when I got back from that, we had to move out of our Southside place, like immediately, cause our lease was up. And so I tried working in Store Express, like doing production, music production there. And it was just too loud. Like if anybody else was in there, like I couldn't, I couldn't work on it. Like I couldn't mix properly or like, couldn't even really hear what I was doing that well. And I was living with my mom so I did some work there. I was just so scattered. Feels really good to have one place now, this basement. And I was just, uh, when I came down here today, it just makes me so happy to be down here. And um, just like in this area, which is very great to to have a space to be able to just get, get lost in the... Uh, stuff I'm working on. Um, yeah, I think... Uh, oh yeah, another thing that was different about Spectrum was I... I We got someone else to master it, because I... As I mentioned, I was feeling like I had lost kind of... I lost my perspective on the music because I'd just been listening to it so much, it was hard for me to tell. Is this is this right? Like, it, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do the best job at mastering it. So we sent it to a guy named Ryan Schwab in Philadelphia, and I heard about him through Jesse Miller of Lotus. Um, I forget what albums this guy mastered, but he he was one of the guys that they use. So I got in touch with him and his rate was reasonable. I think I don't remember what it was, but I think it might've been like 80 bucks a song or something. But um, we had a master one song and then kind of listened to it. And I compared it to my master. And then I just felt so much better just to hand it off, hand the whole thing off to to Ryan to do. And he did a a great job and yeah it was great the me and the three other guys in the band split the cost of the mastering just because we wanted to you know we all wanted to contribute to make this album as good as we could make it and they also contributed to the recording we split the the cost of the recording date which i think was like it was like 300 bucks for a day and the mastering might have been but I don't remember exactly all the prices, but it was great, like, splitting that. So thank you guys for... for going in on this creative project with me and making Spectrum the best we could make it. But yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about Word of the Soul more on another episode. But... In conclusion here, um, if you haven't, these are the things that, you know, have happened since last spring that you should check out if you're interested. Um, Homefest, it's on YouTube, Chalk Dinosaur Homefest. That was our set for the virtual festival curated by pigeons playing ping pong. So Homefest, then Time Out Chair, which is another video we did at the Rex. Search for Chalk Dinosaur Rex Theater. You'll get the whole show there. That's like our best show, and it sounds the best. Well, Home Fest sounds really good, too, I think, in terms of like quality. So those two shows that are on YouTube, uh, Word of the Soul, which is on Spotify or Bandcamp, three-song EP, very lyric, heavy. Um, electronic, but very song-oriented, like, song with words, vocally-centered. Spectrum, which is our second full-length, full-band album. The third album we've made as a band, like, me and Nick and Andrew and John. So yeah, Spectrum, Word of the Soul, Chalk Dinosaur at the Rex Theatre Live. Chalk Dinosaur at HomeFest Live. And, um, I'll put links to all that stuff below. And, yes. Happy Easter. For those of you who care about Easter. Happy weekend times in your future. To you, I wish you happy Weekend times. Thank you. Today. Welcome. That is all.